First, we'll read from Genesis 3, verses 6 to 7, and then we'll read from Romans 7, verses 12 to 25. So this is immediately after, um, or even, uh, this is the moment when Adam and Eve eat from the tree. So when the woman was saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was be, to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. But she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made one cloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God because among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The word of God for us is the gospel. Thanks be to God. In Romans chapter 7. Begin in verse 12, go through the end of the chapter. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Did what is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin working death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close to me. For I delight in the law of God in my but I see in my members another law that war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus and our Lord. So then with my mind I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh I am a slave to the law of sin. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray once more. the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. You who are our rock and our redeemer. Why do we do what we do? That's the question that Paul raises for us today. We all know where good intentions lead, right? But even so, within us, there's this battle. This battle that Paul describes as being between flesh and spirit that other places we experience is between our desires and our will. We know what is good, but we don't always do it. We know what is evil, and yet sometimes still we do it. Paul opens this passage by saying, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and just and good. And it's strange that Paul feels a need to defend the law at all, but it's because of what he said just before this passage. He has just said that 
We wouldn't know sin if it weren't for the law. We wouldn't be able to recognize it if it weren't for the law that God has given to Moses. We wouldn't know what it means to covet or to lust if we didn't have a law teaching us not to do those things. It wouldn't mean that they were okay to do. It just means that we wouldn't know about it. Uh, When I was a camp counselor, they taught us that the brain, especially uh, our young brains, can't process negative commands. So if you're beside a swimming pool, you don't say stop running because what your brain hears is run, you say walk, give positive commands, because our brain processes what it is to hear in positive ways. And so the law not only brings in for us an idea of what it is to do things we shouldn't do, but it also increases our desire to sin. And this is because of the rebellion that enters into our lives on account of sin. There's an innate desire within us, whether we want to recognize it or not, whether we fall prey to it or not, that actually likes to break the rules, to go against the grain, to prove that we're more powerful than the rules that try to hold us down. We don't like rules. We don't like the law. Not when they limit what it is that we want to do, so we press back against them. One of my favorite stories from early Christian history of St. Augustine and his memoir called the called Confessions, the most painful confession that he gives seems like such a minor thing. He and his friends go into someone else's garden and they still they steal pears from the tree of that person's garden. And this is what he says about those pears. Fair were those pears. But the pears are not what my wretched soul desired. I had store of better pears elsewhere. And those I gathered only that I might steal them. For when gathered, I flung them away. I threw them away. My only feast was my sin, which I was pleased to enjoy. But if I had eaten the pears, if they'd come within my mouth, what would have sweetened them would have been the sin. And now, O oh Lord my God, I inquire what in that theft delighted me. And behold, it had no loveliness. So of all the things Augustine did, and he did a lot of things, this is one of the things that he's most ashamed of. And he's ashamed of it because he did it solely for the pleasure of breaking the rules. He didn't even want to eat the pears. He had others. He didn't need them. He just wanted to enjoy breaking the rules. There's something about breaking the rules that feels like freedom. And there's something about rules that feels like oppression, like slavery. And you ask your parents why. And they say, because I said so, that's the feeling that we have with the law. It feels so oppressive, so unnecessary. And Paul describes it that way earlier in Romans, and now he has to assert again, the law is good, the commandment is just and holy. But the law can't fix our spirits of rebellion. In fact, sometimes the law can't fix the problem that has entered into humanity through the decision of Adam and Eve to eat of the tree. So it's not the law's fault that we sin, but it's sin's fault that we sin. It's sin living and abiding and working within us that causes us to sin. Paul describes this sin working death in me. Sin working death in me. This is what it means. Not to expire, to breathe our last, but to be fragile.
Paul says, the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I am body. I don't do what I want to do. I do the things that I hate. And even if I know it's wrong, I do it anyway. And it's not a simple problem of me doing it because I know what's right. And part of me wants to do what's right. But it's sin living in me, in my flesh. Sin, the thing that brings death, is alive in us. It's like kudzu. It looks green and beautiful and it grows and grows and it's full of life and then it kills everything around it. It overtakes it all. Paul says, I can will what is right, but I can't do it. I don't do the good I want to do, the evil that I don't want to do, I do. So it's not just me, but sin living in me. Now, as Paul says this, it's not an absolution from guilt. He finishes this by saying, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? It's not the devil made me do it. It's not that I'm not responsible for the things that I have done, but that there is a complicated, difficult war going inside of us. A war between sin flesh against the spirit that God has given to us. Paul actually uses that word, war. These things are at war in my very Often the desire that we have to break the law, to go against the commands, though not always, sometimes it's something else. But it's often our desire to prove that we are free from the slavery of the law. Paul says that this is really just another form of oppression. There is another law, in addition to the law that was given to Moses, at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin, which dwells in my mind. Another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin which dwells in my members. There's a civil war in our hearts as humans. The good angel and the bad angel on each shoulder telling us what to do. We know these feelings. The things that we know are right, and we do them, we don't do them anyway. The things that are wrong, and we do them. Our will, what we know is good, is at odds with our desires. What we want simply for the sake of wanting. What we know is best and what we really want are often at odds with each other. Knowing that something is good is not the same as doing it. We can do all the work we want teaching the rules and how to follow them. We can know it's wrong and that it's bad for us and still want to do it. Are you going to have the grilled chicken or the fried today? Are you going to be good on your budget and get the gently used car or go for the shiny new one? Are you going to love your enemy or are you going to punch him in the face? Are you going to pray for the one who's hurting? Are you going to gossip about it? To work, are you going to work hard and ask for help when you need it? Are you going to gain the system so you don't have to work at all? This morning, the alarm clock came earlier than I wanted it to, and Frankly, if I didn't have responsibilities here this morning, I might have just rolled over and gone back to bed. It wouldn't have been the best thing for me, but it was what I wanted. So our will is at war with our desires. Our flesh is at war with the spirit. Our desire to be faithful and holy and righteous is at war with our will to sin, to seek pleasure or satisfaction in 
sin is alive and wreaking havoc and bringing death to our souls. Our will is fragmented. We're at war with ourselves. But this isn't all of the ways that internally sin comes in and tears us apart. There's another aspect in addition to this war going on in ourselves. It's not just that our desires are now at odds with each other. Shame also enters in. Shame is not just embarrassment. I get embarrassed when I trip over my words or trip over my own feet, when I'm clumsy or forgetful or something else. Shame is not just that. It's not just turning red because we made a minor mistake. And shame is not just guilt, though they're too closely tied together. Guilt is an awareness that what we've done is wrong. Shame is the desire to be hidden. Not just to hide what we've done, but to hide who we are. It's a feeble effort to cover ourselves up with fig leaves when the God that we know is everywhere and knows everything is looking for us. It's a sense that we're no longer acceptable, that we're no longer worthy, that if God or other people really knew who we are or what we've done, or even what we continually do, that we would be reviled and unwelcome and unloved, that we would be mocked we would be found ultimately lacking and unworthy. And our response to shame is to try the very best we can to cover up, even when it's not about avoiding consequences. It's the desire to stay at home rather than to come and to face everyone else. Shame isolates us from God and from everyone else. No one can know who we really are, we think, but never and shame also drives us back into the same sinful behaviors. Because we can't find, or don't think that we can find, we're unwilling to find the grace and forgiveness of the Lord. We go back to the other things that provided us comfort that we wanted in the first place. We think if I'm not good enough, I'm not ever going to be good enough, and I might as well be numb to it all. Or I might as well at least enjoy it for a little while. If I'm condemned anyway, I might as well go out with all the fun and this is what drives our addictions, and not just the culturally stigmatized ones, but all of them. I wonder today what you're desperately afraid people might find out about. What about you might show up in the news that would be worse than death for you? What are you carrying that has power over you? What guilt can you not let go of such that it continues to have an impact on your life? Even secular scholars are They say if you bring it into the light, you'll be surprised at how much support you can get. And this is right. But it also trusts everyone a little bit too much. You see, some people are not trustworthy with our shame and our hurts and our pain. Some people will take it and use it to run right over us. But in the church, we're called to do something different. It's why we confess each week. We say, I'm fundamentally a sinner. This is part of the desire that lives in me. But more fundamentally than I'm a sinner, I'm a beloved child of God. The church is full of testimonies, of people who can come up before you and say, I used to do all of these things, and I don't struggle with those things anymore. But the church is also full of people who are struggling with things and don't know how to say it, who don't know how to ask for help, who are too ashamed to do anything about it because they are worried desperately worried that they will be proven to be unworthy of love. 
give it to him in prayer, to give it to him wholly. But it's hard to give our shame just to God if we don't also give it to others. You see, if we say, I prayed the prayer, but if we can't share it with others, we're still ashamed. It doesn't mean that everybody has to know all of our business, but it does mean that those things that we're desperately afraid that people might know still has power over we're still worried that the love of our brothers and sisters might prove to be insufficient. Ultimately, that the grace of God that's at work in the community of faith is not enough for whatever it is that we struggle with. Shame is a lie, but it's a subtle lie. Like any good lie, it has just enough of the truth to make you believe it. You see, it's true that all of us should be ashamed of our sin. Sin is active rebellion against the one who loved us enough to create us to grant us every good thing that we might need to thrive. And we've thrown it all away. We don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve God's grace. That part of shame is right on the money. But the implicit lie that comes with it is that if we're honest about who we are, about what we've done, about what we do, we won't get God's love. When we think that we're not worthy, we tend to let that be the end of the story. That is not the end of the story. Just because we can't get it right doesn't mean that no one can. As Paul finishes chapter 7, in fact, I'm going to read these verses again. As Paul finishes chapter 7, this is what he says. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God. With my flesh... I am a slave to the law of sin. And then the next verse is, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no condemnation See, the civil war of our wills between what we want to do, what we know we should do, and what we actually do, and our shame, this all comes to a point in the person of Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, God has done what our weakened flesh could not do. In Jesus, who came looking just like us and fully human, but not falling into the trap of sin, Jesus condemned sin. And the sin that kills us, he gave the death penalty. So what we could not complete, all of the requirements of the law, Jesus has done for us. And now we live not according to the flesh, no longer slaves to the flesh. It makes us do what we don't want to do and not do the things that we want to do. We don't live under the law of the flesh and sin any longer. We live under the law. We are servants, slaves of the Holy Spirit. Not death living in us, the very spirit of life. The spirit that breathed life into us. The word which brought us into being. The father who knit us together in our mother's wombs. They're recreating us. Reintegrating us. Reconciling all of the broken pieces that feel right now like they're at war with one another. Even the contentions between even shame. Jesus has taken all of this and put it to death through his 
is the good news of the gospel. That sin no longer has to reign within us. That we no longer have to be ashamed of anything that we've done or that we do. Because when we bring it into the glorious and beautiful life of Jesus, it can be healed. It can be brought back together. The death that lives in us can be put to death.
stand now uh, and turn in our hymnals to number 382 uh, and sing, Have Thine Own Way with 